Greetings, Gente Puente! We are a community of Gente Puente, building bridges between God and His people, and also between different cultures and languages. In today's program, Glen Mary Priest, Father Steve Powell, shares about his experience living through three immigration raids in his ministry. He shares what helped and what he has learned so that other parishes can help their immigrant community make a safety plan. Si no tienes ninguna idea de lo que acabo de decir, no te preocupes. El podcast Gente Puente tiene episodios en inglés y otros en español. Si no eres bilingüe, de todas formas puedes leer la entrevista y ver todos los recursos de hoy en las notas del programa, que se encuentran en paticc.com diagonal S3. No quieres perder la entrevista de hoy porque el padre Steve Powell comparte lo que ha aprendido en sus experiencias en tres redadas de inmigración y cómo ayudar a los inmigrantes crear un plan de seguridad. Okay, back to English. I'm Patty Gutierrez from Patty's Catholic Corner. We are a team with experience in ministry who provide Catholic translations from English to Spanish or from Spanish to English. I'm your host for these interviews. This podcast is for you if you are a leader in a Catholic ministry. You will hear interviews about the Hispanic Latino ministry best practices from all over the country to get practical ideas, strategies, and resources that can help you in your ministry. You will also receive encouragement from other ministers who understand all the joys and the struggles that come with ministry. But before I start, I want to tell you about a free resource I have put together for Catholic parishes. I have written out bilingual templates for your parish website. You can find it and all the resources mentioned in this episode, as well as a summary of the episode in English and Spanish in the show notes found at pattycc.com slash three. If you want to join in the conversation, be part of the Gente Puente online family and see what's coming in the next episodes, come to our Facebook group. Just look for Gente Puente on Facebook to find us and be part of the group. As I said in the beginning, we are going to hear from Father Steve Powell. He is a priest with the Glen Mary Home Missioners. They work in the south of the United States in counties with very low numbers of Catholics. Father Steve has had the misfortune of experiencing three different immigration raids during his time of ministry with Hispanic immigrants in Georgia and in Tennessee. He has used his experience and turned it into a blessing to help immigrants in his parish to be better prepared in the case of a raid. I pray that parishes all across the country can learn from his experience as well and start to implement some of the steps in the safety plan that he lays out. Now, let's listen to my conversation with Father Steve. Welcome, Father Steve. I'm so glad that you're able to be on the Gente Puente podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. All right. Thanks. I'm going to start us off with a little prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we come before you so grateful for all the many blessings that you've given us especially the gift of serving in your church. We know that none of us are perfect, and so we thank you for your mercy and for choosing to work through our broken humanity. Lord Jesus, you prayed that we would be one as you and the Father are one. Pour out your Spirit as we strive to be gente puente, uniting the body of Christ. 
Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in us the fire of your love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father Steve, it's such a pleasure to get to talk to you today, and I'm excited to hear more about the project that you're going to share with us. But first, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, about your background, your vocation, how you got connected to Hispanic Latino ministry, and what's your current role? All right. My name is Father Steve Powick. As I like to tell people, I'm just a pig farmer turned priest from Minnesota. But I joined the Glenmary Home Missioners after exploring Marinol. Marinol sent me to Guatemala for a couple of weeks. And I said, oh, I love missionary work, but I could never learn Spanish. And here are the Glenmary Home Missioners. They work in the deep south and they work in Appalachia. So I said, this is perfect. So my very first assignment in Georgia, the priest there was bilingual, but he became ill. And so I had to take over the Spanish mass. And I did not know one word of Spanish. So that was my introduction. So bit by bit, I've tried to learn Spanish. Yo hablo un poquito. I do preach in Spanish, um, but it's country Spanish, as I tell people. Uh, <laughs> and since then, in these last 29 years as a Glenmary Home Missionary Priest, it has been a delight. Currently, I am in two new missions. Both started in 2011. Neither one had a Catholic church when I arrived here. Uh, we are in... Union County, Tennessee, with St. Teresa of Calcutta Catholic Church, and in Granger, uh, Tennessee, Rutledge area, with St. John Paul II Catholic Mission, and both have Latino populations. Well, thank you. So tell us a little bit about the project that you want to share with us, the basic overview of who is it for, what happened, um, what some of the basic information about that project, please. What I'd like to talk about today is um, to be prepared for a safety plan for immigration and immigrants, especially in a time of a raid. Unfortunately, in my priesthood, I have been through three raids, and the most recent one here has reached national uh, focus, the raid in Bean Station at the Slaughterhouse, um, which has was the largest immigration raid in 10 years. And since then, the current administration has carried out about four to five more significant raids on workplaces. And so how do we protect our parishioners, our people, and what can we have done ahead of time? And so that's the project I want to talk about because we did have a safety plan in place and the safety plan did work. Wow. Tell us more about that. What was your plan or what were some of the main elements? The... First part of the plan was always to tell people if there's any issue with immigration, with ICE or any other agencies, and you are nervous, go to the church. So there's a central meeting place. Mm -hmm. Go to the church and we'll sort things out. Um, That first step worked very well. Uh, When the raid happened, I was on my way over to Rutledge. I live in the other mission in Maynardville. And that first call came at 1015 when I got to the church, there were two cars waiting, all with adolescents um, who heard about the raid, were trying to figure out where their parents were, and came. Mm-hmm. By midday, we probably had 50 people in the church, including uh, U.S. citizens who were helping us locate people who were scared. And by the end of the day, we probably had 75 to 80. And to the good graces of Turk, an agency here in 
in uh, Tennessee. We had uh, law and, um, legal aid assistance available by 8 o'clock that evening. Um, and because we had a center to gather, because we had people gathered together, because we knew who had agencies to call, we called Catholic Charities, who contacted Turk, who then sent people over from Nashville to help us. So that was stage one, is just having people know when something happens, where to go. And those connections with the legal aid and legal advice and things like that, you had already set up those connections ahead of time? Yes, we had um, been working with Catholic Charities Immigration Office here in Tennessee and with Turk, uh, Tennessee um, Rights and Immigration Coalition, I think is what it stands for. Um, and so we had those numbers beforehand. We knew where you could go for help if something happened, and we had previous experience with them. And so that allowed us to enter into this quickly. Hmm. Okay, and the, so you mentioned that was step one, and what were the other steps in the plan? Step two, and then there's a step three, and we'll leave it at that. Step two was to produce everyone a legal ID, a photo ID. Um, obviously, I tried to inform my parishioners that uh, if you present a false identification, a false social security number, or anything of that nature, your situation with the legal system changes from a misdemeanor to a felony. And of course, when you get the felonies, you get into a whole nother ball game of consequences. Mm -hmm. The photo ID cards that we give, I sent uh, to five counties to their local sheriff's office and the police stations, showed them the form that people would fill out, showed them what the ID card would look like. Um, and so it would give them knowledge that the person who they are seeing lives in their county. It would have the direction, their age, their weight. The same things on a driver's license. And on the back of the card, it says, this is not an ID by the state or federal government. This was produced by the Catholic Church. And you can call this number for background information. Hmm. One thing really important with the ID program is that the people must present an authentic identification card from their home country, whether that be a passport, a voter ID card, a registration card, um, a birth certificate, and then we require the same thing the state of Tennessee does. State of Tennessee requires two uh, mailing addresses that show that you live there, so a light bill or a phone bill, and so we require the same thing. So everything is the same as the state of Tennessee, but we produce the ID, and people did it for a donation. You, there are many companies, uh, Alpha um, is one company that we've used where you get these machines. These IDs are used at school systems, at others, but by producing them here for the people, if they're ever pulled over, they have a genuine ID they can give people. Because oftentimes the local police or sheriff just wants to know, do you live in the county? Are you here? Is this your home? The second thing it does, it gives them a second ID that's local, that's a photo. They can use that at the bank to cash a check. They can use at the grocery store if they're going to use a a credit card or something of that nature. So it gives them a second photo ID because oftentimes you can get some other IDs without a photo that will help them in their daily living. And we have found this to be very successful. And four of the five sheriffs accepted it and were grateful. Wow. Um, the sheriff in Knox County had no interest. 
Well, we will jump back into get more details on that uh, project or that piece of the project. But okay, what was step three in the plan? Step three, I did not have in place at the time. I only learned about it later. And so now implementing step three, which is very important and one I wish I knew about ahead of time. And that is to have, um, I might not have the correct language here, but it's to make a power of attorney for the sake of children. Right. What this is, any undocumented individual who has children, and if a raid happens, and if both parents are taken, or if one parent's a step-parent, the Department of Family and Children's Services steps in and removes those children automatically while the parent is in detention. However, if you have a power of attorney that documents who will take care of your children, um, in this case, it then gives a legal path for that individual to help you um, take care of that child immediately. It does not grant them, you're not signing away your custodial rights. All you're doing is giving them the mm-hmm. power to take care of the child, to take them to school, to take them to a doctor. And it's a temporary power while you're going through this process. Um, we have been doing these workshops now for the last month, um, and they're extremely important and extremely helpful. We have a group of volunteer lawyers and a group of um, notaries that come in because the paper has to be notarized um, for it to be valid. And so we set up an evening for two to three hours. People come in, the lawyers work for free, and they bring in their documents that say these are their children. They bring in the address, and it needs to be someone who is a legal resident or citizen. It can't be another undocumented person. It has to be a legal resident or citizen. With these three steps, then, our children and our families have some protection in the case of a raid, and it allows them to have that security um, that their children will not be taken from them, that they will not be lost in the system, and that mm-hmm. they have um, a trusted place to be. So real quick, you said the person has to be a per- legal permanent resident or have some kind of immigration status here, preferably citizen. Uh, does that person have to be present? Do they have to come to this workshop? Do they have to live locally or can they be in another place? They can be almost anywhere in the United States. Um, Sometimes we need a phone call to verify information. The lawyers sometimes like to do that. But otherwise, if they have it clear, it's the parents making this decision. Um, And so, yes, like some of our families, they have family in North Carolina. We're in the state of Tennessee. It's across the border. Mm -hmm. Those family members did not have to come to the workshop to fill out the papers, but they were notified. and, and, And so it's helpful to have that phone communication so you can show the lawyer this is the person and they've said yes they will take care of my children Mm -hmm. um and but that's all you really need to have is that yes this person has agreed to take care of my children so i want to go back to the beginning or not the very beginning but go back and you said that you started these missions and i'm thinking one question someone might have in a place that doesn't have an already established hispanic latino ministry is how do we create a safe space in the church that people will come to if they are feeling uncomfortable or if there is a raid how did you create that community how did you build rapport with the local hispanics enough that they did come when they had that problem occur well i think 
having been in this ministry a while and in different places, the advantage here was that the church didn't exist. So when we began, the English-speaking community and the Spanish-speaking community have a common history. They both created the space. They mm-hmm. both created the building. We're in a storefront building, in this case, at John Paul II. So we created that space together, and we've worked to develop relationships. We have an English Mass and a Spanish Mass. The English Mass is mostly older people. The Spanish Mass is mostly uh, younger people. I always joke the average age of English is 70. <laughs> the average age of Spanish is seven. Um, so it may not be literally true, but it, it feels that way. But we've done work. Yeah. We have a Thursday night bilingual. Our church building is also used for commodities. We do a back-to-school program. We do a back-to-winter program, getting people blankets. And so both for the English and Spanish-speaking, the church is not just a place of worship. It's a place where needs are met. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we've built up that reputation over the years. And they were able to trust our white population or the English population, if you will. It's never a good way to explain the right terms these days because my Mexican children are really Tennesseans. They're really U.S. children. <laughs> right. And so we get lost in this vocabulary sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all Tennesseans. So, but it helps because they have some interaction. They knew each other. Um, we've done joint things with the Methodist and with the Baptist. We, we, we're, we have over 100 and some families when we started with, with 26. And but both the Methodist Church and the Baptist Church have very few children. So we do a vocation Bible school together. We use their building and their teachers, and we bring the kids. Okay. So they also had a relationship, and so they could trust the local community. Um, and because of the ID cards, and I'd worked with the sheriff, we had a relationship with the sheriff and police department. So all of that yeah. preliminary um, work before it ever happens of building relationships and the people knowing that they have relationships with them and that they can trust us. So it's about building that sense of trust that you are family and that this is your home and we'll take care of you. And when we had the day of the raid, this wasn't just Catholic members. The Latino population is Baptist, it's Adventistas, it's Jehovah Witnesses. Mm-hmm. They were all affected and they all came to the church because it's a safe place for everyone. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. My, Let's go back into the details about the ID. So you described what kind of requirements that you have to have to be able to give someone an ID. What about the technological side? You said there was a company that you've used or? Right. You can, and the program cost us $3,000 basically. There's an Alpha card company, makes a very little machine mm-hmm. that's actually portable. There is, you need a a laptop computer to hook to that, and you need a camera, a good camera, not your camera from your computer. Right. You have to have a a, a good camera that attaches onto the computer. Okay. And you need a place where you can have a white screen background so that they can sit and have their picture taken. Um, So the equipment is very easy and less than $3,000 for these little white cards. Um. It takes about 10 minutes to process each person. Um, what we did is have the back of the cards all produced because it's like anything else. You go to the machine, it comes out in front, and you've got to wait for the color printer to go through. 
Um, so by having the backside all done, they just have to have the photo, the information entered in the computer. You press the button, and in two minutes, out comes the card, and they leave with the card. They mm-hmm. come in the same day and leave with the card in the same day. Mm-hmm. So do you do it, it takes like about 10 a minutes full day? Per person to process. Do you do it like a full day workshop kind of style, or we do a, we do it in the morning, um, and uh, so we say the doors open at nine and we'll close at twelve, and we have two teams. The team at the door is getting the forms all filled out and making sure everybody has the right paperwork. And then they go into the door where we have the machine and the camera set up and we have two people working there. One enters the information on the computer and takes the picture and the other one um, is there to give them the ID when it comes out of the machine and make sure they sign off. And we keep all these records in file. So if we're ever called, we can produce for them that we had validated this information. And the card says in back that this is, um, to the best of our knowledge, at the date of issue, this was correct information. Mm-hmm. And how often do you do those? Um, we did it in the beginning. The demand was so high that we did it uh, every other week for the first um, three times. And then we only had like 10 people come the fourth time. So now we're spacing it. We do about once a quarter um, okay. because there's always new people moving in. And, and so we try to do that as is needed. Um, I've had requests to go to other parishes. I just haven't had a chance to get my team organized because you do have to train them. It does take a little training how to mm-hmm. use the equipment, but it's not complicated. So do you have anything, let's say there's a parish out there that wants to start this. Do you have anything that would help them, for example, the template of how you have the ID set up, the wording, or a copy of the paperwork that you use? Um, they would be, I, I'd be most happy for anyone to contact. Um, you can find St. Teresa of Calcutta Catholic Church on the web. You can find how to get in hold of us that way. Send us a question and we can forward you any of that um, forms that we have and the companies we have and the others that we researched. We'd be glad to assist any parishes out there looking for this way of protecting uh, their uh their members who have need of an ID. And I found out we had some elderly people come to get an ID because they don't drive. Hmm. And so they needed a photo ID. Hmm. So we helped them as well. Interesting. We will continue with my interview with Father Steve in a moment, but I want to share a little more about the free resource for parishes I mentioned during the intro. I have put together texts for parishes who would like to make their website a little more welcoming for Spanish-speaking Catholics. These are templates that are super easy for webmasters to cut and paste text with very little editing and without knowing a word of Spanish. It includes templates for a welcome page, a page with a schedule of parish activities, a parish team page, and a helpful links page. You can get your free copy today by visiting pattycc.com templates or on today's show notes page. Now we continue with the conversation with Father Steve Powell. What are some things that you learned along the way that you could give kind of as advice of someone starting out this safety plan? Um, You already mentioned that you learned the third step, praise God, and now you have it. Um, But is there anything else that you learned along the way that you had to kind of tweak as you went or you wish that you had known earlier on? There are several things 
that are involved in it. You, you always say it's never going to happen here. Um, but Bean Station is about as rural and forgotten as you can get. And it happened in Bean Station. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think to be prepared and to build relationships, I think it's important for pastorals and pastor teams to recognize that when they're meeting the county mayor, the sheriff, the police, the lawyers in town or whatever you have, to build those relationships with the potential of what could happen in in the long range if something like an uh, ice raid would ever happen. Also, it's important to, and we've had these out for a long time, you know, just know your right cards. They're everywhere. Every state, every Catholic church should have you know your right cards. What's your right when someone comes to your door? What do you have to tell them? What don't you have to tell them? This was a workplace raid, so none of that would have made any difference. But that's also part of a safety plan. It's it's to think ahead. But if you have the relationships built, the main thing is a safe place to gather. And if it's not the church, if it's your parish hall, if it's a soccer field where people play soccer regularly, but where is the safe place where people can gather so that you can sort through? Because when it happens, it's like triage. It is like every mm-hmm. five minutes you're getting another person coming in crying and worried and misinformation and trying to find out correct information. And uh, and thank God, part of what worked, which I didn't have in place, but I called some of my U.S. citizen people to go and check neighborhoods to see if people are okay. And they came with food and we provide lunch. And so people just out of the goodness of heart responded to my calls from the uh, English-speaking mm-hmm. community. Tell us a little bit about the actual raid and that experience and whether you feel that or how you feel this plan, having the plan ahead of time helped. And then where were some of maybe the weaknesses? Or I also want to hear a little more about how did you find those missing people? Like what were the steps that you took? Did you have to call in the lawyers at that point? Or were there other things people can do in that triage stage to help? Well, the raid is something you never want to go through because it's just so traumatic and it's traumatic for the children and, and others as well. It's just a tremendous traumatic experience. Um, but because we had connections and cell phones, because of this, we have made lots of relationships. And I think overall it worked because we had the connections. The thing we didn't count on is finding homes for people. I didn't have any idea that we needed homes for people that night. People were afraid to go back. But finding people wasn't bad because we knew where people lived. We know the neighborhoods that people were in. And I would call this person. They'd say they heard so-and-so's out there. The cell phone system is amazing. And so we were able to find people. We just drove through neighborhoods because people ran to the woods. People ran to other people's homes. And uh, they're so scared. There's so much fear. And to bring them to a safe place to talk and find out what's happening who is in detention, who is going to be released. Um, and I'm grateful for Turk and immigration, Catholic Charities immigration officers, who even by phone, because I could calm people down saying, somebody's coming, we'll answer that question, we'll be able to sort that okay. out. So just pretend someone has absolutely no idea about how immig- the immigration system works. If someone comes to me and they say, so-and-so was taken, I don't know where they are, what do you do? That is, when, when we don't know where they are, that's a much harder situation. We knew where they were being taken here. We knew they were going to Morristown. We knew where the buses were going to the holding center. 
Okay. Um, and it's very hard to get any information inside the building once there's a raid happening. We couldn't get anything. We had to wait outside the doors, and I was right inside the church. But to go on site, one of the things that made a big difference here is because we had legal forces there very quickly. The Catholic Charities lawyers were there within two hours. And so they were, if you want to say, harassing the agents. They knew they were being watched. Mm -hmm. So they had to start doing things by book. And some people got released who had never been taken. So once they know someone's watching. So the lawyers were on site where the where they were where detained. The, they took them. They came in three buses, uh, forced people into the buses, didn't ask a lot of questions, handcuffed people, including pregnant women. Um, and then they said it was sort out in a holding facility. They took them to the National Armory in Morristown about 20 minutes away. And that's where they held them to, for processing. Um, 97 people taken. Um, 54 were held. Um, 10 more were held for felony charges, which turned out to be they had been picked up once before for immigration and we came back to the country without permission. So that becomes felony. Mm -hmm. Um, they were sent from the detention center, uh, then to Alabama in a very pitiful place from Alabama to Louisiana. And because we had lawyers on this side, we were able to get a hold of the Southern Law Association, and they helped us in Louisiana. Having the legal eyes and the church eyes there right away um, helped a lot. When I was in Georgia and the raid took place, we didn't have any of this in place, and there was no help for the people. It was much more difficult. It was a different time. But that's where I first learned mm -hmm. you have to have a plan in place because that took place at a chicken poultry plant. And there was nothing we could do. We we went out to the trailer park and found lots of kids at home alone. And the school mm -hmm. system and the church figured out how to take care of them because there was no plans and parents were taken and not allowed to go back and get their mm -hmm. children. Um, and so having a plan makes a huge difference. Yeah. So I can see how the previous raid you lived through helped you to help this community be prepared. And hopefully what you've learned here is helping other parishes help their communities to be prepared. Is there anything that you can share with us, maybe a story or a way that you saw God work through this tragedy that you want to share with us? There are two people whose lives changed drastically. We have a volunteer program here in Granger County and happened to be a volunteer group there. And they came to help me with lunch. The leader of the group is an ICE agent out of Boston. Wow. He had his hat on and he was pointing out what he thought was undercover people. He was protecting the people. And I said, what's changed your heart here? He says, these are kids and they're crying. These are women and they're afraid. That ain't right. That's not supposed to happen. Oh. And so to see this hardcore, by the book guy, realize the human side of this. And he was patrolling that building, and he was confident that there was a unmarked policeman, ICE aid out there, and he had me go talk to them and have them move on. And so that was incredible conversion. The other was one yeah. of our parishioners who voted for Donald Trump, has questioned me many times about immigration and wants to do done by the book. And she was there just to bring communion to the homebound. And she saw these kids and she said, what's happening? So I explained to it. So that night she took in a family of five to her home, actually seven when you count the parents. And, and they stayed there for three days. 
And they now have an ongoing relationship. And she now still would like to see immigration reform, but she doesn't want to see the people here harmed. And she doesn't want to see the children harmed. And it had a great change of heart. So those are great signs of God's intervention. When we meet people, what looks like a hardcore story or all the cliches becomes a human story. And when hearts touch hearts, God comes through. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Steve. We will be wrapping up, but is there anything going on currently in your ministry that you want to share about, something that you're excited about or a challenge you're facing right now that you want to share? I think I just want to make one political comment, and I hope that we together can take back the word sanctuary. Sanctuary is a place of safety. Every city, every town should be a sanctuary for our children and elderly. When we use sanctuary cities to say like something is going wrong, that's the corruption of the Bible verse. The Old Testament to the New Testament, every city which would want to be a sanctuary, a safe place for people to live, a safe place for people to find justice. And so one of the things I'm doing is trying to promote change of language, trying to get rid of reclaim sanctuary to remind people why we don't use the word illegal, because every person is legitimate. They all have a right to be here. Reminding people that there is no line to get into. So we're doing what we can do to help bring about the change of hearts, and hopefully that leads to a change of policies without adopting a policy, but keeping the biblical language clear. And that's my hope for Mm -hmm. everyone, that we have a church of unity and love and peace and justice. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So one of the goals of the Gente Puente podcast is to create a community and an encouraging space for ministers where we can support each other. So now that you've been in ministry for many years and now you've been connected to Hispanic ministry for many years, is there anything that you can share with other leaders that would encourage them? Maybe they're brand new or maybe they're struggling Um What could you share with them uh, that would be an encouragement for them? For my green girl friends, just be honest. We don't know nothing. That's okay. We speak the language terribly. That's okay. (laughs) If your heart is there, they will love you. Don't be afraid of language barrier. Just reach out and embrace your people, whether you're a lay leader or priest, brother, or whatever your role in the parish. There's always a way through the language by the love of heart. Maybe they end this little story here if there's time. Sure. We were doing a going away party for an associate priest who had here for a short time. And in planning it, the Latino women said to the English women, you don't need to do anything. You are the abuelas of the church. Because these elderly women <laughs> brought clothes and tricycles and things to these ladies that they would see with babies. And when that word was used, It changed everything because now they saw that they had a new role because our young immigrants don't have their grandmothers here. The abuelos and abuelas, the tios, the tias are not here. And so to see what you have, no language is necessary, just a good heart. Thank you. Would you mind to close us out in prayer, uh, a prayer for ministers, encouraging ministers, Maybe those that are going through a difficult time right now. We'll do it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Dear Lord Jesus, in the life of the church, we go through difficult times. In the life of our communities, they go through difficult times. 
We are now in a time of immigration that is challenging, where there are many uh, misinformation and where civility is sometimes lost for those who are a different color or a different race or a different language. But as Catholics, we're all brothers and sisters. May we be the body of Christ and support each other, whether we be leaders or members. May we be the hands and feet and the hearts that embrace each other and walk together. Lord, help us not lose hope. Help us be the light in the darkness. Help us be the path of clarity and confusion. Help us overcome sadness with joy. With you, all things are possible. So, Lord, we ask you to be with every minister, every leader, everyone who desires to be part of the body of Christ, to have faith and confidence in your power over the evil we see in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Steve. You're most welcome, Patty. What an incredible interview with Father Steve. Listening to him makes me laugh and cry and gives me goosebumps. I can just hear the spirit moving as he talks about his ministry. I love it. Here are some of my key takeaways. Number one, you never know what is going to happen, but God will be with you and he can bring good out of every situation. Two, much more important than language skills is love in your heart. Even if your Spanish isn't great or it's non-existent, focus on what you can do. Three, having a safety plan in place for immigrant parishioners made a huge difference. Father Steve's plan now has three main steps. One, agree on a safe meeting place. Two, provide parishioners with a photo ID and keep good records. And three, assist parents in creating powers of attorney to arrange for care for their children in their absence. Takeaway number four, underlying the success of the safety plan is building ongoing trusting relationships among parishioners, within the broader community, with local law enforcement, community organizations, and with legal service providers. Five, it would be good to set out a parish response plan in the case of a raid. It would include things like calling in U.S. citizen volunteers to help visit neighborhoods, bring food, provide temporary housing, and accompany the scared immigrants and their families. It should also include calling legal services right away to come provide assistance, answer questions, and to be present outside the detention facility where people are being processed. Six, encounter is the best way for hearts to change. Like Father Steve said, when we meet people, what looks like a hardcore story or a cliche becomes a human story. And when hearts touch hearts, God comes through. I hope you received as much as I did from this interview. If you would like to find out more information about Father Steve or donate towards his Catholic missions, you can find the links in today's show notes or at glenmary.org. Father Steve also shared some resources for parishes who are interested in trying out the ID program. You can find sample application forms, text for the IDs, and a sample letter to local law enforcement as well as other resources mentioned in the show notes for this episode at pattycc.com slash three. 
Don't forget to join the Gente Puente Facebook group to be part of our growing family of Catholic leaders who share their experiences and encourage each other. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash Gente Puente or simply look for Gente Puente on Facebook. In the next episode, we will hear from a couple who has been leading Retrovi retreats with Latinos in California. These retreats have had incredible success helping couples to get through difficult times in their marriages and rebuild their relationships. So don't forget to subscribe to the Gente Puente podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening today. May God bless you and your ministry as Gente Puente. Gente Puente.